Well, we're starting. We're starting with a short video. Um, today, I'm going to talk to you about the battle. And um, I've used this video clip before, but I think it's worth seeing again. So, Maestro, could you play the play the DVD, please? say I've shown that before, every time I see it, I get emotional. Uh, there's something very powerful about the presentation. But that's not just a dance. That isn't just a dance. That's a representation of something that Jesus has done and is doing every day. Every day. that there is, a, there is a battle going on for our attention. There is a constant striving for getting a message across that is contrary to the one that God has for us to hear. And we're not just talking about those of us who are not saved. If you're here today and you know, don't know God, then that battle is very real. But those of us that have moved from darkness to light, we still hear echoes from the house next door. We still hear echoes of a time that's been before. And um, when Paul writes about spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant. He's warning us about the fact that we can become very blasé about what's going on in the spirit world. We can ignore it and think that we can work it all out with our minds. But there is a very real battle that's going on for our attention. And the the spiritual reality of that has sometimes more impact on how we are than those circumstances. In fact, I would say it always has more impact on how we are than our circumstances. And that's why it's possible to be in poverty but to be happy. That's why it's possible to be ill, but be content and know that my God is caring for me. And I believe that that battle is something that we mustn't be uh, deaf to. Our enemy is not passive. 1 Peter 5 tells us to be self-controlled and alert because your enemy walks among you looking for someone to devour. He's actively looking for our points of weakness. So let's not be, let's not be blasé about the battle there is for each one of us that's here today. About our, the way that we think. About the way that we, or the things that we do. Because actually there's an enemy who's looking around to pick you off. But we're secure when we look at what Jesus has done. I just want to... So, so here's some truths about battle. 
They're my truths about battle. I think they're true. And you can, you can discuss them later with, some, with someone else. But first of all, and most importantly, we have to remember that God is sovereign. We have to know that God is sovereign. Nothing happens on earth that he doesn't allow. There are many things that happen on earth that if I was God, I would not like to see happen. But I'm not God, and fortunately God knows that I'm not God. So, so that's okay. Right at the top of the list is that God is sovereign. That means whatever the enemy chucks at me, I have got the ability, the grace, to deal with. But we are in a struggle. And this is something that's a little bit of a a moot point, something I want us to think about. Paul writes, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. He doesn't say our happy, victorious life is not against flesh and blood. He says our struggle. And actually, you know, it can be a struggle. Keeping your mind straight when stuff is happening around you can require an active pursuit of God. It's not against flesh and blood. There's a battle within you, and there's a battle outside of you. And what I mean by that is the enemy is quite... And we'll look at some of these in more, in more detail. So this is just my introduction. There are things that go on within us about doubts, about how we feel about ourselves. Those things are going on within. Sometimes things happen outside of us. Our circumstance changes. Maybe we're ill. Maybe we don't have enough of something. Maybe there's some other point of pressure. And that battle is contending for your attention. So today I want to make sure that we know, he, know our enemy. We need to know God. That's the most important thing. But we also need to recognize when the enemy is at work. To recognize his strategies. To look at when it happens, this struggle, and what I can do about it. And lastly, I want to look at the power of choice in the whole thing. Battle is a way of life. God's called me to do a great thing for him. But because of that, I live in a place that is subject to contesting. Whenever we move into ground where the enemy has owned before, we can expect there to be pressure from the enemy. Now, I'm not looking for demons under every chair. And our promise is, God's promise to us is, wherever you place your feet, I will give you that ground. But when we move there, we need to be alert to the fact that attack will come. Now, bearing in mind that God's sovereign, that also means that God allows that attack to happen. We'll look a bit about why that might happen later, because I don't always understand why, but there are some general principles about how God uses the attacks of the enemy to actually refine us and make us more like he intends us to be. So, there are times in my life when I can feel out of my depth when I can't cope, when I want to run away. I'm not strong enough. I'm letting you down. Maybe I'm letting people down at work. Maybe I'm letting my family down. 
my goodness me. Waves of panic wash over me. And it feels like I'm drowning. Is that true? In fact, is any of that true? Other times, we find ourselves in a situation where we, we want to do something. A thought occurs to us about something we might do. In fact, that thing that we think we might want to do, we know is wrong. But suddenly, that thought has occurred to us, and the compulsion to do it feels so super, super strong that it's so hard to say no. How is it possible that we can find ourselves in that situation? I want to look today at this because being in a battle is not wrong. Being in a battle, being in a struggle is in fact the life that we've been promised. We are going to be in a struggle, but we're in a victorious struggle. We've been promised that we will see these things through, that he who began a good work in us will see it through to completion. So even when I feel like running away... I know the origin of that word. And I'm going to come back to what that looks like. Ephesians 5 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armour of God that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Did you know the devil has schemes? He has ideas about how to mess us up. But God has plans for us. Plans to prosper us, to give us a hope and a future. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore take up the full armour of God, that you'll be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. What does that mean? Girded your loins. Made yourself strong with this truth. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all picking up the shield of faith, and that you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. The enemy slings flaming missiles at us. I think the reason why that analogy is used is... um, If you just fire an arrow at someone, uh, it hurts, right? But if you put an arrow in someone that's on fire, it really hurts. It has an effect beyond the injury. In fact, it it has an effect to cause potential damage beyond that point. But actually, the shield of faith is able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. So our struggle. Now, for some of us, our struggle, we feel like that's what our struggle should be like. And that's what I'd like my struggle to be like. Uh, At this time of year, some of you know the job I do, I dream quite a lot of that kind of struggle. That's what I would like to do for, for about the next, yes, few weeks, yeah. However, however, that's not the struggle that God's given for us. Uh, This is a sculpture. I don't know if it's uh, particularly inspired, but it struck me about this sculpture. There's actually, there are three identical figures, and one fella is trying to escape from the pull of the others. 
Sometimes our old life can seem to want to pull us back. But God wants us to be able to break free. Baptism is part of that. And I'm going to come on to why uh, it's one of the one of the main areas of attack that the enemy uses is a complete falsehood. We're dead. Did you know that? I know some of you look like you are. No, you don't. You really don't. I'm not going to be rude about this morning. You've been very nice so far. When we got baptised, if you've been baptised, that's actually celebrating the death of your old self. And you leave your old self and all its ways in the water. When you're raised, you're raised to new life. Have you ever tried to tempt a corpse to do something it doesn't want to do? Or even wants to do, actually. Tempting a corpse is not very easy. Generally, they don't do very much. It's the same as with you. Your flesh is dead. But the enemy would want you to, to remind you of your flesh. And to remind you of the noises from the house next door. So grace, is, grace for me, I'd like grace to be like the picture on the left, okay? And some of the times, in the presence of God, I can identify with that picture. But quite often, grace is the, the dunamis, the ability, the God-given power to break free from things that will want to pull us back. Jesus said... I baptize you with water, but the one, sorry, John said, I baptize you with water, but the one more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And um, some of this process that we go through, we know, we, we've heard of the baptism of water, we've heard of the baptism of the Spirit. But sometimes some of this struggle that we go through is a baptism of fire. It's actually a testing. And the reason why God tests us is because like a metal, we come out cleaner afterwards. We've been refined and our worth can be proven. So this struggle, having established we're going to have a bit of a struggle, a God-empowered struggle. You can't do this on your own, guys. This is something which God enables us to do. It's not against flesh and blood. Now, you see, the thing is, the enemy is a cunning enemy. So he doesn't come to you very often in the guise that you would expect the enemy to come at you with. The enemy can come to you as someone you know with words that are well meant, with words that might have come from a a heart that had meant being kind to you. But what comes out of their mouth is not actually what God wanted to come out. It's got contaminated somewhere. And we all do it. Fortunately, knowing that God's sovereign means that whatever comes out of my mouth, God will just use it for the good of the person who's heard it, actually. That's a, that's a little, that's a little uh, thing for you to remember, okay? So when you're dealing with things with people and... Uh, you know, let's, let's remember that our God's sovereign. But the enemy who comes to me may look like someone I, I know. You know, sometimes we might even think it's ourselves. The enemy is, is quite good at making us do things and then us feeling, well, I, I'm just like that. So maybe I have a temper issue and I always lose my temper. 
And the enemy tells me, that's all down to me. That's all my fault. Did you know something? You're dead. So that bad temper thing that you have is in the water. You didn't bring it up with you. You've been remade. You've been reborn. There is no reason why you should have that bad temper thing anymore. When the enemy says, oh yeah, you're just like that, what he's doing is he's presenting you with despair. He's presenting you with an inability to change. And that's not what That's not what God has for us. God has for us the ability to change in any area that we see a weakness. So the enemy would want us to to think that some of these things that happen, some of these thoughts are coming from ourselves. Do you know what? It's possible to have a thought about pornography and not be addicted to pornography or not have any thoughts about pornography prior to that point. Suddenly, men, we're thinking, oh my goodness, I'm addicted to pornography. That thought's just come into my head. Where did that come from? I'll tell you where it came from. It came from the enemy who wants to see you enslaved to something which is no longer you, which you've left behind. So... We need to be aware that our God loves us, accepts us, he's forgiven us, he's allowed us to be born again, he's made us new. And so when the enemy chucks these things at us, we need to remember that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, it is bigger than that. It is bigger than my own heart, it is bigger than my own mind, it is bigger than something which I might go back to. My God has dealt with all of that. The enemy is the father of lies. Whatever he tells you is false. In fact, whatever he tells you, the opposite is true. One of his, so that's one of his main strategies, you know. Uh, so, so to just get us thinking about things in that way. Um, Romans 6 tells us about how we died and so we can live with him. Um, some examples. Pressure might come from someone who you work with. Obviously, no one who works for Lifeline. But you might find, occasionally, that there's pressure from people around you in your team. That starts to make you doubt yourself. Do you remember a few years ago, we started praying into... Uh, the birth of babies amongst us because we had time after time there were difficulties in the, in the issue of birth there were complications now we could have got, looked for medical reasons why that was so but we saw a pattern and we said you know this is, this is bigger than flesh and blood there is a battle here that is, that is bigger than just, there's a path emerging here that is more than just coincidence. And we prayed. And for many months, perhaps even a year, I think, it was one of the main targets as we prayed together. And we saw breakthrough. And many of us are parents of children that were born after that time. Now, uh, between, um, after Lydia was born... uh, we unexpectedly found ourselves pregnant, Christina and I, and um, it was... 
I'm not talking about Isabel. We unexpectedly found ourselves pregnant. What I'm saying by that, without going into too much detail for the tape, let's just say things were in place that it shouldn't happen. <laughs> now you're making your own jokes. Anyway. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, time went on and we discovered this. And so I moved from the sort of initial shots. Wow, this is fantastic. Thank you, Lord. What an amazing thing. And this was about the time that we're having all this difficulty. And then we lost the baby about two or three weeks later. Now, do I think the enemy took my baby from me? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. There is one who determines my span of life. There is from my first cry to my final breath. I'm in God's hands. My child is in God's hands. The enemy may have tried to make me think that he was in charge. But he absolutely wasn't. And that child, I don't, you know, I don't believe that that child has gone anywhere except to be with the father. I don't know whether a boy or a girl or anything about them. But the father knows. And one day I'll know more. But that's between God. That's between God and me. I'll, I'll find out one day. I, I, I don't know now. But I'm giving you that as an example of how there's this tension of understanding that we have to absolutely battle through for the things that we know that God has for us. But we cannot believe that there's a battle of equals going on here. The enemy is never in charge. The enemy is never in charge. He wants you to believe he is. He wants you to believe that that addictive behavior you can't beat because he's in charge of you. That's not true. Your, your body is dead and in the water. You've been raised to a new life in him. Our God is sovereign. What a fantastic God. What a fantastic God. You know, sometimes we pray for things and we don't see them happening. The, the example is just... Um, you can have a look at it later. I haven't got time to look at it today. But the example that's often quoted is this one from Daniel, where Daniel is asking for the interpretation of a, of a dream. And, and it's taken a long time for the angel to get to him and talk to him. You can have a look at it later in Daniel 3. And actually what's happening is that the angel is doing battle with, what, with something in the spirit realm called the Prince of Persia. Daniel's just doing his thing. Well, which is being pretty amazing if you're Daniel. But it's, he's just doing his thing in doing the thing that God's given him to do. And he wants to, he wants to see a breakthrough. And there's a battle going on. And Daniel prays and he fasts and he prays. And in that time, there is a breakthrough in the spirit realm. And then the interpretation comes. Sometimes, that's why prayer is so important. You know, we pray every morning, uh, every, every Sunday morning before the meeting from 10. It's so important that we use those times to seek God about this time and to lift his name together. You know, when we're doing that, there is something changed about this place because we have prayed. You know, I know not everyone can be there. We wouldn't all fit. But if you can be there and you're thinking about being there, for, you know, it's great because actually... Our battle is not against, just against flesh and blood. You know when people come in and they all look like this? That's not just them. 
There is a spiritual reality going on here. There is a spiritual battle going for your attention and for your ability to catch hold of what God is wanting to do with you today. So, talking about knowing your enemy, so just a, just a few things, you'll notice a certain pattern. Jesus says of him, he was a murderer from the beginner, from the beginning, not holding to the truth, there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. So one thing that's absolutely clear is whatever the enemy says, I don't, I don't need to pay any attention. Because what he says is not true. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Who are we going to listen to? So what I want to do is, um, and here's another one. Uh, the thief, talking of the enemy, comes only to steal, to kill, to destroy. But I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. We can hear voices. We can hear things from the spirit realm. If you've been born again, and some of you who haven't been born again, you can hear things. Some of those things come from the good place. They come from the Father, the sense you would love, and they encourage you. Other things you hear, they are just not true. They were sent to destroy. They were sent to keep you in a box, to stop you from breaking out. But God wants you to pick up those things that he's saying and to put those other things where they belong. Whether the activity is blamed on our weakness or others, the enemy is behind it. He seeks to claim glory for things he had nothing to do with. The, uh, so that example I gave of, uh, of us losing a child, you know, he would seek to glory in saying, oh, I did that. No, he didn't. Oh, no, he absolutely didn't. Do you see what I mean? How the enemy can just... When you watch the news and you hear these terrible things going on, he's saying, I did that. I know he didn't. I did that. No, he didn't. My God's sovereign. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. But my God's sovereign. So how do you tell whether you're listening to him or you're listening to our Father? Well, first of all, look at the fruit of the word to you. Jesus says that there are good prophets and there are bad prophets, and it's by their fruit you'll know. So look at what's happening. Every word of God comes to you for strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. What the enemy would seek to do is to tie you down, to restrict, to disable. If you're feeling tied down, restricted, in this spacious place, what have you been listening to? Jesus promises that the sheep know his voice. You can find that story yourself. But we know the Father's voice. There is something that when we're born again enables us to pick up the Father's voice. And we also know that there is this thing called discernment. 
that allows us to just know. And sometimes we'll, we'll be talking to people and um, you just hear. It's, sometimes it's about the weight of something. Sometimes it's about the, the removal of choice is one of the hallmarks of Satan. He will get you into a corner where you feel you don't know what, you don't have anything else to do. You just have to do this thing. You know it's not right, but you just have to do it. Whenever he seeks to remove our choice, that is the thing. That's the thing that God gave us in the very first place in the garden that the enemy always wants to take away. So watch out for that. I believe that God wants to deliver some of us from those situations where we feel we have no choice. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we're taking every court captive to the obedience of Christ. And um, I was listening to some teaching on this, and uh, I just came across the word speculations. This is at the NASB. Um, uh, the NIV calls it something else to speculations. When I looked in the AV, the authorised version, it's called imaginations. Um, these are things, where do imaginations come from? Your mind, really, yeah. Um, They're logismos. Do you want the Greek word? Logismos. Speculations. They're things that we come up with to explain a situation that may or may not be true. But they just sort of fit. Now, I like reading crime fiction. And for whenever you're reading crime fiction, you're coming up with lots of speculations about what will happen at the end. I'd like to proclaim that that's relatively harmless fun. That's okay. But when I'm trying to work out what's going to happen next after this situation, I'll just describe one to you, it has potentially harmful consequences. Now, I knew I was going to talk about this today, so as always, there's always an interesting kind of week that goes before. So, Sunday night is the night before Owen's last A-level exam, and you might remember it rained a bit. Who remembers it rained a bit? Nobody? It rained a bit at about what time? About between, it was between 3 and 5 or something like that, right? So between 3 a.m. and 5 a.m., it's raining really hard and Jake's is awake. <laughs> Obviously, it's what you do between 3 and 5 a.m. is wake up when you're feeling that you're a bit busy. So I woke up and I listened to the rain. I thought, oh, you know, it's quite nice listening to that rain. But I'd really like to be asleep now. Drip, drip, drip. Drip, drip, drip. Drip, drip, drip. That's really weird, that dripping noise. That dripping noise doesn't quite sound right. It sounds like sort of... You know outside it sort of splashes? This sounds like dead, like it's going onto carpet or something. We have blackout curtains in the room, so you can't see a thing in there. So I think, hmm, I'd better turn the light on. i turn on the light, and there's all this water coming through our bedroom roof. Um... So I'm like, oh, right, okay, so I get out the buckets. We used to have this when we first moved into the house, um, and it was a problem with a particular part of the roof. But 
Okay, so my house is letting in rainwater. So, so I shared, I said, guys, some of you have seen me on Facebook, I said, I've got water coming in from my roof, I might need to get a roof around. I think it'll be the Valley Gutters, I'm thinking, like a few hundred quid or something. So a guy comes around on Tuesday, has a look at the roof, says, well, you need a new roof, mate. I said, oh, do I? Oh, right. Yeah, it'll be about £10,000. I said, oh, about £10,000. I'm thinking it's rained like once heavily and I've got rainwater coming in, but I need a new roof. So, so by this time, so I've gone from, I've got a little problem to, oh, I need a whole new roof. Okay, I need to find £10,000. Owen's going off to university next year. Hmm. Uh, and uh, and uh, I'm thinking, this is quite expensive. Um, and before we knew where we were, Christina and I had in quite a, like a, about all this money that's going to have to be... You can't imagine it, can you? I mean, we're so calm. I mean, we really wouldn't get stressed by this kind of thing. Seriously, I just want to take it as an example of a speculation. I'm not giving you the end of the story yet, but I'm pretty sure I don't need a whole new roof, and if I did, it's not going to cost me £10,000. That's just rubbish, okay? But what the enemy was doing was he was using it as a, as, a, as a way into stressing us on something where we're already feeling, oh, money's going to be a bit tight next year, to, oh, my goodness, and we've got to find money for that as well. Oh, my goodness. You know, this is after I destroyed my car earlier this year and various other things. So there's been a fair few things that have... Well, I didn't exactly destroy it. It destroyed itself. Anyway, probably not relevant to the point. The point... The point I wanted to make, well, yeah, the point I wanted to make, okay, one of my children's been somewhere, they're coming back, it's 11 o'clock, I quite love them to be in the house now, they're walking back, Uh, sorry, I don't have small children, my children are fairly big, but nevertheless, I start to think, I wonder what's happened, oh, wonder if, wonder if maybe... I hope they're all right. I'll phone them. No answer. Oh. Maybe they've just got their phone turned. Maybe something's happened. Do I need to go and have a look? Maybe I need to go and have I'll go and have a look. I'll go and find them. Very quickly, something that starts as, a, I wonder, becomes a, a whole sequence of things that is now controlling me, where actually some of it might be good concern. I'm not advocating leaving your children out at 3 o'clock in the morning wandering the streets, okay? It's not a good, not a good plan. However, th- there, is a, there is a thing that happens. If you're waiting for your partner to come back from somewhere and they're late, what reason do you come up with in your head? How many times do you start getting concerned when actually that's actually coming from a place that wants to control you and to leave you in fear? The enemy wants us to live in fear. But we know that our God is sovereign. Do you know, I think that person said that to you because you, they don't basically like you. You're not a really good father. In fact, you're not a very good father at all. You really ought to have. Those things are little thoughts, fiery darts, and they can land in our heads, and we can choose to feed them by listening. Or we can... Take, cut them off. And my challenge is that it's really important for us to, to do that, to, to cut them off.
before they start to have the effect that the enemy intended. Now, we've already looked at this example. Um, the, next, the, 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 the last illustration I've got is really from the story of uh, Nehemiah. So, sorry, this is about speculations. I've forgotten I've done this. So, um, yeah, so that's what speculation is. It's something you explain, something with without any real basis. When it becomes linked with fear, that's when it has a power. And God intends us to be free from fear. Okay? We've heard people testify to, I was waiting for my test results from the doctor, but I wasn't worried. That is, that's where there's an absence of that speculation. That's, the, well, that's what God intends for us. So we know that God's in charge. Okay? Yeah, so from the story of Nehemiah, I'm not going to go through the whole story because I think we've looked at it in quite recent times. But I just want to look at the role played by the enemy in this whole story. Because I think there's some few examples of the enemy's strategies with us. So, um, so first of all, um, the, the outline of the story is Nehemiah's cupbearer to the king. He's looking downcast. The king says, what's going on? What's the matter? He says, have you seen Jerusalem? It's terrible. I want to go and do something about it. And Nehemiah's king says, sure, go and do something. And what do you need, by the way? Gives him the equipment, gives him the ability, gives him people. Uh, give them the materials, goes off and does it. And he's in the middle of doing this thing and he's carrying on going. But the first thing the enemy says to him, you can, you can follow this story later, in Nehemiah 2, um, he accuses him of something that is, is not true. Oh, there's a surprise, the father of lies. I want to just point out that attack comes irrespective of what you've done. Nehemiah was in the center of what he should do. There was no question that he'd made a mistake to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. As we move into the spacious place that God has for us, we're not doing anything wrong. It's not that somehow you've messed up when, when the enemy has a go. Actually, far from it. You're moving into that very place that God intended for you, and there will be a contesting Because God allows it to make us of gold. God allows it so that we are then sharp in that place. So the first thing he does is that the enemy says to him, um, so I'll just read chapter 2, verse 17 to 19. So so you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem, Nehemiah says, Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burnt in fire. Come, let's rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and we'll no longer be in disgrace. And also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let's start rebuilding. So they began this work. So Sanballat hears this and uh, they mocked and ridiculed them. And said, what is this you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? So why are you pushing yourself into a role of leadership? Why are you taking the lead in that situation in work? Are you trying to do your boss out of a job? Are you trying to... Well, maybe you are. No. You know, are, you, are, you trying to, are you trying to usurp someone else? Or are you taking the place that has actually always been yours? Goes on. 
Um, and then uh, Sambalat hears in chapter 4 that it's going on. You get lots more detail in the story in chapter 4. Um, he says, um, what are those feeble Jews doing? Feeble Jews. Do you ever feel like you're, you're a bit of a pathetic case, really? Do you ever hear that voice from the enemy saying, you're pathetic? You couldn't do anything. The enemy would want to make us feel like we're grasshoppers, like we're nothing. But you're a mighty man of God. You're a mighty woman of God. God has called you to a great work. The enemy goes on, will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life, burnt as they are? Look at what they're building, says Tobiah. Even if a fox climbed on it, he would break down their wall of stones. Well, okay, so you're getting on with it, but what you're doing is rubbish, frankly. <laughs> I mean, you know, you really, really sneeze and it would go. And he goes on. And later, we hear that uh, the peoples are plotting, and you get this, the picture of there being fear from within, and there being fear from without. There's fear from amongst the people of God, saying we're frightened that people are going to come and attack us. And from outside, they say, I mean, within, they say the strength of the laborers is giving out. Um, wherever they, um, and then uh, they say, wherever we turn, uh, the enemy will attack us. So we need to be aware that when we're moving into the spacious place, we will feel insecure in it. We're going to hear one another saying things like that. And when we hear one another saying things like that in today's language, we need to remember that it's a lie. And we need to help the person see that it's a lie. And the enemy would seek to meet with us in his place of strength. Oh. Um, and uh, wonderfully, as you probably know, the, ch- the place where he wants to meet is the plain of Ono, which has given every preacher an opportunity for a free joke every time they've read that. But, you know, you don't want to go to the plain of Ono, because you'll find out why it's called the plain of Ono. Anyway, um, to all of this, Nehemiah says, I'm doing a great work, and I can't come down. Why should I stop and leave it and come down to you? Nehemiah's given an ability to stand above what the enemy is chucking at him. I believe that God can give us that same resilience, that same ability to stand above it and to not be impacted. The enemy is powerful, but our God is greater. His words are lies, but we serve the Lord of truth. And, uh, yeah, so we can get these pressures. I was very good at thinking of these. Places of pressure, doubts, fears, temptation, addiction, voices. They're all things that go on inside us. We've got things coming from outside of us. I've read all of these in the teaching on this. None of these are known to me in any shape or means. Um, confession is absolutely key to how we deal with these the enemy makes us feel that he's not involved I've just got a pain in my back 
or, or I just, I've just got a weakness in that area. That he wants to make us feel like it's our fault and we keep it hidden. Well, in a sense, it is our fault because we could step free. But God wants us to open up so that his love can do the setting free. The enemy is seeking to kill and to destroy. You know, attack happens when Nehemiah was in the midst of a great project. You know, attack happens when Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness and he was tempted. Attack happens at an opportune time, according to Luke. At the end of that story, we hear that the enemy left Jesus and to return at an opportune time. You can be in the right place, you can be doing the right thing, and suddenly you find yourself dealing with the enemy. But don't be afraid. Our God is with us. He is powerful. He will give you the words to say. If you're in that place of suddenly realising you've been dealing with the enemy when actually you thought you were dealing with your flesh and blood, we'll have an opportunity this morning to, to pray with you. And what we're going to do in, in a moment will be, you know, we'll be lifting up Jesus' name. That's the right thing to do from that place of battle. Because as we lift up the name of Jesus, so he's given glory and the enemy's power we see the enemy's power fall away. The enemy has no power save that which we give him. We do not need to fear. The enemy is subject to God. You don't have to be alone. Sometimes there are some battles when literally we feel alone. When Jesus was tempted in the desert, he was led there by the Spirit, but angels came to him at the end. Which seems a bit unfair, really. You'd like the angels to be there when he was dealing with the enemy. Sometimes we get our help after we've been tested. So, what can I do about it is the last thing. So there's no one antidote. We need to be led of the Spirit. To recognise what it is, to recognise the lie, to thank God for his truth to worship the Father. Um, just, just one practical here. Sometimes we just need to, if we keep hearing the enemy's voice, his power is greatly reduced when we say, oh, I'm, it's you. I know it's you. I know it's you. So I don't have to listen to you. Enemy activity leaves us feeling compelled, but we always, always have a choice. <clears throat> 